If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, uh, we're still in uh, Genesis chapter 24 this week. Um, if you'll remember, this is the, we mentioned this is the longest chapter in Genesis, 67 verses. And last week we covered uh, a lesson in guidance, which was verses 1 through 27. Today we're going to kind of, you're going to kind of get a, a two-part. We're going to do it, we're going to finish up a lesson in guidance, but we're also going to talk a little bit about, uh, get some principles from this that we can follow as far as love and marriage and, and dating as well. Uh, so again, the whole chapter is 67 verses, and the whole thing uh, covers one subject, which is about finding a wife for Abraham's son, uh, Isaac. Now, as I mentioned last week, since the whole chapter is about that, you would think that we would find principles about love and marriage and dating, and we do. And as I said, we're going to cover some of that a little bit later, but it turns out that more than that, uh, it's really about guidance. It is a, there's some wonderful examples in here of, of how to seek guidance from God. In fact, last week, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to the podcast. We covered two people that needed guidance. One was Abraham and one was Isaac. I'm, I'm sorry, one was his servant. And Abraham, what we saw about him was that he based all of his actions on the Word of God, right? That's where you always start. If you're looking for guidance from God, you start on the Bible. You know, if, if you come to me and say, hey, I need you to, somebody did, did me wrong and, and I'm, I'm struggling with whether or not I should forgive them, will you pray for me to see whether I should forgive them or not? I'm going to say no. What's there to pray about? The Bible says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. There's nothing to pray about. Are you with me? You always start there. Look in the Bible. And if the Bible, if the Word tells you to do something or not to do something, then there's no need to pray about it. it, it the command is there. So that's where we always start, and that's where Abraham starts. Now, there are other times where uh, Abraham felt like he needed to find a wife, but he doesn't, you know, there's no specific uh, revelation from God that says, go do it this way or that way. So what he did is he added to that wisdom, and then he trusted in the sovereignty of God or the providence of God to work things out. Now, the servant who was given the commission to go find a wife for Isaac, he used wisdom. He came up with a plan. He executed that plan. He trusted in the providence of God. He covered it all in prayer. And then when it all worked out, he worshiped God and blessed God and thanked God for what he had done. So at this point in our story, as we come to verse 28, the servant has gone uh, to the city of Nahor. He has found uh, Rebekah. Uh, which is a really good story in itself. Um, but now, at this time, he, he's found her. But in that day and age, it's not like today. Today, you might could have said, Hey, you know, uh, I got this guy. He's got a lot of money. You want to marry him? And she could have just left. But in that day, it didn't work that way. She had to have the consent of her family. So that is the next hurdle that the servant has to, to deal with. And that is getting consent from her family. So let's look at verse 28. and We'll start reading from there. It says, Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So while the servant is still outside the city, he's with the camels and the, and the rest of the caravan, she runs back in to tell her uh, parents and everything about what is, is going on. And she's got a brother. Now, in this story, you're not going to hear her dad mentioned. Evidently, he's either incapacitated or he may have already died. And her older brother is a, is a guy by the name of Laban. And he's kind of taken control of things. And evidently, from the language used, he likes money, 
We're not positive about this, but it could be. Look at verses 29 to 32. So Rebekah had an older brother, or had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, <clears throat> excuse me, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house, and he unharnessed the camels, and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. So here's the, here's the servant. He's found the right woman to be Isaac's wife. Okay, he, he knows this, this is her, everything's worked out. Now he has to convince the family that Isaac is the right man. Okay, so that's what, that's his job now. He, he believes in his heart she's the right woman. Now he's got to convince the family that Isaac is the right man. Now his, he wants to get this done. This guy is a serious guy. He, there's no playing around with him. In fact, look at verse 33. Then food was set before him to eat, and he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so Laban said, speak on. So he's not even going to eat before he gets all of this out. Now, I want you to remember, here he is. He's hundreds of miles away from where he started. Okay, He's, he's gone back to Mesopotamia. He's at this city. And if he can convince them that Rebekah is to marry Isaac, Rebekah's going to have to move hundreds of miles away, which in that day and age meant they're probably never going to see her again. It's not like today where she could hop a plane and and be back here in a little while to visit her parents. It didn't work that way. If When she leaves, she's probably gone. That's it. They're never going to see her again. So here we come to that. We said there are four people or four groups in our story that need guidance. First was Abraham. Second was a servant. Here's the third group, which is her family. They've got a big decision to make. And in fact, the question in front of them is this. Is Isaac the right man for Rebecca? They need guidance. They need to know this is a God thing before they will let her go. So let's see how this works. So look at verse 34. So the servant said, first thing he says to them, now remember, his job here is to convince them to let her go. Everybody with me? So everything he's saying is to convince them to let Rebekah marry Isaac. So the very first thing he says out of his mouth, I am Abraham's servant. He, he announces that he's a representative of Abraham, which is, by the way, Bethuel. So Bethuel is uh, Rebecca's dad, okay? So this would have been her, uh, Abraham would have been her uncle, right? So he's, he's basically saying, hey, we're all the same clan. We're all the same family here. Now, this is important because in that day and age, a lot of these people like to marry within their own village, within their own clan, because they, it, it kind of maintained the purity of the bloodline. They didn't like to intermarry with other peoples or other races. And so this would have been important to them. And so the fact that they, uh, Isaac was from the same family would have been, a, would have set aside many of the objections that they may have had. He goes on, verse 35. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, Male servants, female servants, camels, and donkeys. Now, basically what he's saying here is Abraham's rich. He's rich. He, in other words, he's letting them know if Rebecca comes with us, she'll be taken care of. She's not, she's not going to marry some part into some poverty-ridden family. Abraham is a great man. He's flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants. She'll be well taken care of. Now, that all sounds good so far 
But that does, remember, she ain't marrying Abraham, she's marrying the son. What about him? Well, he takes care of that in verse 36. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. So he's saying, this boy she's going to marry, he, get, he, inherit, he inherits it all. So everything Abraham has got goes to Isaac. So she, not only would she be marrying into her own family, her own clan, but she's going to be well taken care of. She doesn't have anything to, to worry about. Now again, this is very compelling, right? So far, this is kind of, if they had a checklist for a husband for their daughter, they're checking it off, right? This is good, this is good. But here is the clincher. And this is what he wants to get. There's one thing above all else that would seal the deal. And that is if he could convince them that it is the will of God for Isaac to marry Rebekah. And that's what he's trying to do next. So, see, he knows, as he said, we, we know the whole plan that he went through. We covered that last week. He knows Rebecca's the one, but he needs them to know it, right? I mean, they, this guy just shows up, right? They, they don't know that. So he's going to tell them a story. Basically, what he's going to do is he's going to give his testimony. He's going to recount everything that happened to him so that they can see what he sees and they can know what he knows. And it's a long, uh, we've got about 12 verses. We're going to go read them here, 37 through 48. So this is what he's recounting this to them. And the reason he's doing it is because he wants them to understand what all has transpired to get to that point. Verse 37, he says, My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in, whom land I, in, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom, before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper you your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my uh, oath. I came to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring, and she drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. And I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethel Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed my head, and I worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So basically everything that happened last week in our lesson, he recounts it to them. Because remember, he wants them to see this is the will of God. Now, again, at this argument, at this point, he's given every argument he can. Number one, he's family. Number two, he's rich. Number three, it's the will of God, right? Now, at this point, he just lays it right out there. He's not, again, this guy's not a, he doesn't play around. Look at verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, go ahead and tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Basically saying, if you're not, if you're not for this, go ahead and tell me so I can do something else. Right? So he just presses them for an answer and convince them he did. Verses 50 to 51. 
Then Laban and Bethel answered and said... Now, stop right there. I mentioned earlier that we thought Bethel might be dead. Well, it turns out he's not, right? Because he answers right here. But late, there's something going on in this family. Like I said, Bethel could be incapacitated in some way, but it seems like Laban takes more of a, a leadership role than, a, than an older son normally would. But in this case, Bethel uh, is there. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. See, that was the clinching argument. It wasn't, yes, she's part of our family. It wasn't that Abraham is rich. The clinching argument for them, the Lord has spoken. It is the will of God. So they, from, they agree. Okay, it's the will of God. They need to get married. Now, once that's decided, the dowry has to be paid. Now, I say the word dowry, it's really not a dowry. In fact, a couple of the studies I read mention the word dowry. It's not a, it's not a dowry. This is something different in that culture called the bride price. And you may say, well, what's the difference between a bride price and a dowry? Well, a bride price is just what it sounds like. It is an amount of money or valuables or property or something that the man's family would pay to the bride's family. Whereas a dowry is the opposite. A dowry is what the bride's family would pay to the, uh, is the wealth a woman's family would pay to the man's family. But this is what's called a bride price. It's the man paying it to the, to the woman. And by the way, what it's for, it's basically proof that I can take care of her. Here's some gold, here's some silver, here's some camels, here's some land, whatever. It, it's, he's proving I can take care of her. And you might say, well, what's the equivalent today? The equivalent today might be you go to a man and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And he says, well, first thing you know, I do is get a job. Right? It, it, you know, you, you need to get a job. Let me see some stability. Then I'll give you permission to marry my, my daughter. It's the same thing. What he's doing is he's showing by paying this money, I can take care of her. I've got the means and wherewithal to support your, support your daughter. Verses 52 to 54. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the, to the earth before the Lord. And he brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments, and he gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. So this is the bride price that he's paying. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. And when they rose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Now in the morning... After they've had a night to sleep on, it seems like some second thoughts are, are cropping up. And I don't, I don't think it has to do anything to do with whether they, they really believe it's the will of God. They're just beginning to think, man, she's fixing to leave. And they, they evidently really love this girl. And she's fixing to move away hundreds of miles, and we're probably never going to see her again. So they just wanted some more time with her to say their farewells. Verses 55 to 56. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. And after that, she can go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Now, this guy is... We've already seen he's a very wise man, is he not? We saw that with his plan last week. And he understands something. If you give them ten days, the tenth day is it's not going to be any easier than it is today, is it? So those ten are going to turn into... Ten more, and, and it just goes on and on. And he said, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to play that. We're not going to go down that road. So he says, we've got to leave right away. Verses 57 and 59. So they said, well, let's call the young woman and ask her. 
And they called Rebekah and they said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. Now, two things help us here. You remember at the very beginning of this story uh, last week, Abraham said, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go back to my family, and I want you to find a wife from among my clan or among my, my kinsmen. Not from these, not from these godless women around here in, in Canaan. Don't do that. Go back there. Now, there's two things that have happened that I think, or one thing's already happened, one's about to happen, that kind of show us the reason why he sent them back. It seems that this family, or at least Abraham's people, shared a faith in God of some sort, okay? And I'll show you what I might mean by this. You remember when, when the servant tells them the story, the first thing they said was, well, God has spoken, right? God has spoken. Not Baal has spoken or not anything else, but God has spoken. God said, do this thing, well, we're going to have to, to do it. So, so they very quickly agree, this is the will of God, right? So, so something is going on there that they believe in God or they share a faith in, in God. But I want you to look at the blessing that they send her off with. And this is the second reason we can see why he would have sent her back. This is how they bless her. Verse 60. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now listen, that is very, very similar to the blessing that God spoke over Abraham in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, where he said this, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. So there, he's getting a wife whose family has spoken over her the same blessings that God has spoken over Abraham. So you see how their values and, and the direction they're going is all meshing together? They're all on the same page, uh, so to speak. Now... At this point, they leave the city and they have to go back home, travel several hundred miles. It skips a lot of that and uh, and just kind of takes us back to the return. Verse 61 to 66. And Rebekah and her young women arose and they arose on the camels and followed the man. And thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. Bir Laharoi, remember back when we told the story of... Uh, Hagar and Ishmael, and they went out in the in the wilderness, and and they thought they were going to die. And God showed her a spring. That spring was Bir Laharoi. So that's where Isaac had been in that area right there. He had left there and had gone back down into the south, which is Negev Desert, and that's where he was dwelling. Verse sixty-three. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil, and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Now, I mentioned there are four people that need guidance. Abraham, the servant, Rebekah's family, and there's one more. And we cannot forget about him, and that's Isaac. You see, they, they bring him this girl, right? <laughs> Here she is. Now, you know, and, and the servant believes that this is the right woman. The girl's family believes that this is the will of God. But what about Isaac? 
he's about to spend the rest of his life. Don't you think he might need to know this is the right one? Everybody with me? You know, that's what I mentioned last week. When you know it's the right one, it makes a difference through the good times and the bad. Right? When you want to kill them and you really love them. You just push through because you know this is the right one. So how is Isaac going to know? Okay? Is Rebecca, this, this is what he needs, God. Is she the right one for me? Is this the will of God? Is this, is this the one God has chosen for me? Now, as I said, the servant knows, the family knows, how is Isaac going to be assured? Now, there's a verse in there that tells us, and if we're not careful, we'll skip over it. Okay? And that's verse 66. I'm going to read it again. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. You see, what the servant does is he repeats to Isaac the same story he told to the family. Are you with me? He goes through the whole testimony so that Isaac knew how everything had played out. And, and, I, and we, we'll read that and we'll just skip it. But that's where Isaac got his, got his guidance from. Man, if God did all that for me, this has got to be the right one. Now, again, they don't write it down. The words aren't recorded, thank goodness. Or instead of that chapter being 67 verses, it'd be 98 verses, right? And we've already read it, uh, plenty of it, right? So, but we can infer he's telling them the exact same story that he told to the, to the parents. It convinced them and it convinced Isaac also. Verse 67, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, I told you today I'm going to give you a twofer. The first one, very quickly, let's talk a little bit about how we get, what we learn from this story about how we get guidance from God. Number one, we always base our guidance on scriptures first and foremost. The first, you want guidance from God, the first thing you do is you go to the Bible. Does the Bible give me any guidance on this? We mentioned earlier, Abraham is never told to seek a wife uh, for Isaac. But God has promised him, I'm going to give you a bunch of grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And, and to do that, Isaac's got to have a wife. It ain't rocket science, right? He, he, could, he could figure that part out. So he based all of that, sending the servant off, he based it on the revelation of God. And you remember, he was told by God, Isaac has to be faithful to me. And so Abraham says, okay, well, he needs a godly wife. And that's why he, he sent him back. So, again, it's all based on revelation. Um, remember, one of the things he told the servant, do not let Isaac go back to Mesopotamia. Make him stay here. That was based on revelation because God says, I'm going to establish that nation right here in the land of, of Canaan. So, number one, base it on the Word of God. Number two, our guidance comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament... Abraham said it this way. He said, the angel of the Lord will guide you in the way. Today, we would say it like this, Romans eight fourteen: all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, God is going to lead us. We trust the Holy Spirit will lead us. If we're, if we're doing these other things, like relying on Scripture and doing a few other things that we'll talk about here in a minute, the Holy Spirit will lead us. Number three is wisdom. Okay? Abraham's servant is the best example of this. He, he knew, I, I got to get a wife. That's all he knows. So he puts wisdom in place. He puts a plan in place. Notice, there's no revelation here. There didn't need to be any revelation. God didn't say, hey, stand by the gate, and the girl that comes out with a, with a shining star over her head, that's the one. Right? He didn't do that. 
he just said, you know, he just used wisdom. And because he could, wisdom could discern a woman of great character. Okay. Providence. God providentially through, you know, the guy's sitting there in front of the gate. He's praying. And before it even finishes speaking, Rebecca walks out. That's the sovereignty of God. That's the providence of God. God will orchestrate circumstances in your life to, to accomplish His will. Just trust that. Okay? Just, just, just trust that He's going to do that. Okay? If you, if you're standing on the Word, if you're leaning on the Holy Spirit, if you're using wisdom, God will use providence to, to, to do that. Uh, the last one, of course, is prayer. Whatever you do, cover it in prayer. Bathe it in, in prayer. As that servant said, Lord, he said, I know that success in the end comes from you and you alone. I can do everything else I know to do, but you give success and you give failure. So you orchestrate this thing, and that's exactly what happened. Now, that's guidance, okay? We've got about 20 minutes left. I want to turn over a different leaf a little bit here and talk a little bit about some principles that, from this story that we can learn uh, with love and dating and marriage and those things. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, probably most of us in here, if I look around, are, are probably married. Uh, but you may have children who are not married. Or you may have grandchildren who are not yet married. And so, or, or you may, you know, you may be in here and you're not married. I'm going to give you some principles. And these are really, really, I think there's five of them that you can learn from this story. I would encourage you to write them down and have them ready to pass on to young people. A few years ago when I was leading the youth group here, uh, we did a series on dating and marriage and things like that, and these are some of the principles we got right out of this story that we were able to pass on to the young people about finding a wife or finding a husband. I'm going to give you five of them, okay? Now, again, these all come from this story. So these aren't with anything we're just pulling out. They come from this story. Here's the number one. The number one, and I, these aren't in any order. In fact, the last one is just as good as the first one. Look for godly qualities above all else in a prospective mate. Look for godly qualities above all else in a prospective mate. Proverbs thirty-one thirty says this: Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Listen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with good looks, okay? But good looks are fleeting, okay? Everything you've got in your 20s, you ain't going to have in your 50s. Listen, the other day I'm outside, and uh, I've got my granddaughter with me, Ella Kate, and she's four, and we were sitting out back by the pool, and, and uh, we were just sitting in a chair, we were talking and just playing and stuff, and all of a sudden she, she was kind of leaning back like this, and all of a sudden she just stopped. And she was looking, I said, what's wrong? She said, Pop, you got hair growing out of your ears. Well, thank you, Ella Kate, for telling me. Nobody else will tell me that, right? You're not going to tell me that. You just see it, and, you know, she'll tell you, though. That's the other thing about getting old, right? One of the good things is your eyesight goes, so you can't look in the mirror and see any of that. But a four-year-old's eyesight, so the next time I, next time I took a shower, I spent about an extra 20 minutes trying to, <laughs> trying to get some of that stuff. But listen, that's, that's age, isn't it? Hair's growing from places it shouldn't grow out of, and, you know, I used to go to the barbershop and get a haircut, and they'd cut your hair. Now they're snipping over here and snipping over there. They're, Cooter and I were talking about this the other day. They trim your eyebrows. They trim your nose hair. They, I mean, listen, it all falls apart, right? That's just the way it is. It all falls apart. The fact is, I want you to notice, when that servant stood in front of that gate, it said she was a woman of great beauty. Did it not? 
But he didn't judge her on that. He went further than that because he knew beauty isn't enough. Beauty is not enough. There's a lot of people get married on the basis of attraction, how each other looks, and they get married, and then all of a sudden they find out, what, what have I done here? This is, a, this is an absolute nightmare. When that servant sought a mate for Isaac, he was looking for more than looks. He was looking for more than, than beauty. And we should do the same. The fact is, if you marry a man or a woman who is focused on themselves, focused on how they look, worried about all of that, I'm telling you, down the road, you've got, you got a mess on your hands. You have got an absolute mess. Find a mate who, is, who has a heart of a servant. Find a, find a mate with the qualities of God in their, you know, that godly qualities in their character, and you'll never regret that, never. Even when the looks are gone, the inside just keeps getting more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful. Follow that principle, and you cannot go wrong. Number two principle we get out of this is to finally to find a godly mate. You got to look in the right places. Okay. Listen, there are plenty of women in Canaan, right where Isaac is, is there not? Plenty of women. And I'll be honest with you, there, there are plenty of women in bars. There, there are plenty of women in, in dance clubs. There's, there's plenty of women out there. Plenty of men in those places. But if you want to find a godly mate, you've got to go where godly people are. You want to find a godly mate, you've got to go where godly people are. You're not going to find them in those places. Okay? That's why Abraham said, do not look here in Canaan. Go back to my people. Go to the right place if we want to find the right woman for, uh, for Isaac. See, Abraham knew his relatives feared God. He knew that their values were the same as his. He knew that their offspring would share a common faith. So that's where, it, I mean, it was, listen, we said last week, his journey was anywhere from a 400 to a 1,000 miles on camels. That ain't easy. But it was worth that journey to go find the right woman where he could have found one in, in Canaan just as easily. Okay? So if you want to find a godly mate, you go where godly people are. Number three. This is probably the hardest for a young person to do. And that is heed the counsel of older, wiser Christians. Okay? Heed the counsel of older, wiser Christians. I want you to notice how little Isaac had to do with finding a wife. Let's be honest. If, if it would have been left up to Isaac, he'd have probably found the first good-looking Canaanite that he could, right? And she said, oh, yeah, I'll switch over to your religion. No problem. And boy, he said, well, let's, let's do it. You know, let's, this is, let's, let's make this happen. But they didn't leave it up to him. They, they left it, Abraham left it into a servant who had wisdom. And he said, go and find a wife. Go find the right wife for my, for my son. And I want you to notice that servant was unwilling because of his age. In fact, if you go back and read it, it said it was his oldest servant. It was the one who had lived the longest. Because the longer you get, you get that wisdom. And you know, beauty's not everything. He was unwilling to settle for second rate, or third rate, or fourth rate. He wanted a first rate, top of the line wife for Isaac. So heed the counsel of godly Christians, of older Christians, by the way, who can see things you can't. Older Christians can see things in somebody and notice things that when you're just gobsmacked in love, you're not going to see those things, right? 
Now, this is, I say this is the hardest one because how hard is it to get somebody to listen to you when you're saying, you know, you might want to notice this little thing right here going on. But if they will, if you will, as a, as a person who's looking for a godly mate, if you will heed the counsel, because the, again, they can see things that you cannot see. Number four, put emo- now this is also a very difficult one to do, and that is put emotions last, not first. Put your emotions last, not first. Look at verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah. And the first thing that he did is she became his wife. The second thing he did was what? He loved her. Which came first? The marriage came before the love. So love didn't come first. It came, it came second. See, he, love grew after they, got, after they got married. Now, I'm not, I'm not here advocating arranged marriages, which... Um, you know, I, I, I might. <laughs> you know, as a father, I think sometimes I know what's better for my boys than they, and any parent has been in that same shoes. You think I really know better than you do. If I could handle it, I could probably pick one better out. But, but we don't do that in our culture. But, I, but there is a principle which many Christian counselors often stress, and that is this, and this is a wonderful thing to remember. Romantic love is never the basis for marriage. Marriage is the basis for romantic love. And I'm going to tell you, find anybody that's been married a long time, they'll tell you that's true. That, all that gush of emotions and all that, it fades away. And something far deeper grows in its place. Yes or no? Anybody that's been married a long time, well, that, that original thing, don't rely on that. That is not the ba- In fact, to be honest with you, though, our culture thrives on that. We encourage that. Boy, you're in love. You know, just... But that's never a basis for a strong and lasting marriage. Marriage is the basis for romantic love. And that's a wonderful thing there. That, this is really a good reason, by the way, why the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it's a really good reason why we shouldn't encourage or we should encourage our young people not to date unbelievers. Because you're putting yourself in a situation where it leads to emotional attachment. Everybody with me? You're putting your in a, you, you're in, you're, you're getting this to a place where you're going to get all these wonderful feelings. And you're going to think, oh, this is the one. Because those feelings override common sense. So it's a good, it's a good idea. Don't put yourself in that situation because you may find something that's out of control. And as I said, everything in our culture runs contrary to this. So we would encourage kids, do not put yourself in a situation where love can grow until you're ready for love to grow. Let me say it again. Don't put yourself in a situation where love can grow until you're ready for love to grow. So be very careful. The last one, and I mentioned this one last week, to find the right person, you need to be the right person. This is one of the things when we taught the kids that we really focused on for them. Look, Somewhere out there is this Prince Charming or, or this, this girl, you're just, it's gonna be the perfect one. And you're waiting for them to come along, but you gotta put yourself in their shoes. They're also looking for somebody. Are you the person they're looking for? Are you the person they're, they're looking for? I want you to notice in this story, Rebecca comes out of the city and there's an old man. There is nothing in this at all for her. He says, hey, can I, this isn't a dating show, right? She's not putting on her best behavior. She doesn't come out of the gate thinking, I'm going to find me a husband. That's not even on her mind. She's just going out to get water. And this old man comes up to her and says, hey, can you give me a drink? 
And she says, sure, take a drink and I'll water your camels too. There's nothing in it for her. Nothing. See, she's just being herself. She was kind. She was respectful. She had a servant's heart. She's just walking through life being the right person. Are you with me? She, she's not putting on her best date behavior to impress him. That's got nothing to do with this story. She's simply being herself, living as she always does, exuding godly character, meeting the needs of others, and God says, okay, Rebecca, I got somebody for you. God used that to distinguish her from everybody else. That was what distinguished her, by the way, was that character. And God used that to distinguish her from all the other girls. And she didn't, she had no idea that was going to be the day. She just was living, being the one. I found a sentence somewhere, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I don't know if it's hard to understand. you got to be the kind of person, the kind of person you want to marry would want to marry. <laughs> Let me say it again. you got to be the kind of person, the person you want to marry would want to marry, right? If you want a kind, loving, godly mate, you've got to be a kind. That, you know, that person is also looking for a kind, loving, godly person. Are you that person? If you want to find the right one, quit looking. In fact, a lot, of the, a lot of Christian counselors will tell you, quit looking for the one and start being the right one. Quit looking for the right one and start being the right one, and God will take care of the rest. All right, next week we turn to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 25. And uh, if you want to read ahead, I'm not sure yet how much we'll cover, but we will be uh, covering, uh, turning to that uh, next week. Let's pray.